everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and this week I am joined by Mike Shea, also known as Sly Flourish, and he was actually my first guest back in 2016 when I started this podcast, so I am thrilled to have him back on, and it's surprising that it's been that long since our first conversation. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm filled with imposter syndrome, so I'm happy to be talking to you. Oh, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into imposter syndrome, anxiety. And Dunning-Kruger? Are we going to talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect? I think we should. At least twice. Okay, good. At least twice during the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour. So how are you? What is going on these days? Oh, my God. I am great. Things are great. Uh, I am I am tremendously busy, uh, busier than I am normally, and that's all fine. It's stressful, but it's like good. It's like, oh, my God. I have to sit down and, and draw three maps tonight. Like I have to, you know, the world's going to fall apart if I don't get my three D D maps drawn. But yeah, it's all it's all wonderful. So for those who don't know you, which probably if you're listening to this podcast, you already know who Mike Shea is. But if you don't, you have been quite prominent in the role playing game D and D community. Uh, certainly on Twitter, on uh, SlyFlourish.com, you've been writing for different publishers, if that's fair to say. Oh, yeah. Yep. So you have been out there, and I think more than many other people that I've encountered, you seem to have a pretty good sense of what's happening in this hobby of tabletop role-playing games, and I've really appreciated all the work that you've put into just mobilizing the community and sharing information. And my first question which could go in a lot of different directions, is what's happening to this hobby? Oh, my God. I have no idea. What is so going you, on? You say that like I'm on, I'm in touch. I feel like Indiana Jones with the whip on the truck just being dragged, you know, maybe, hopefully being dragged down the road, more likely just watching the truck drive off into the distance, into the dust, and be like, what was that? So when I ask that question, yeah, how, do you, how do you even interpret it? Well, I, so I think about what's happening with the D&D community overall, what's happening with – so, you know, there's RPGs, right? right. But I can't get my hands around I, – I, you know, I certainly can't get my hands around all of that. But I can get maybe my hands around Dungeons & Dragons in particular a little better, and certainly that's been my, my focus over the past three years or so. Um, and, I mean, D&D has been my focus for 10 years, but then – between fourth edition and fifth edition, I explored many different games and, and enjoyed them and loved them and still keep track of them. Um, but then my focus, when when five E came out, my focus kind of narrowed back down to five E. Um, and yeah, so there's it, you know I, I consider there to be very extent. Well, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say there's a lot of a lot of growth in, in Dungeons and Dragons over the past couple of years in particular. Um, in my in my big ass Twitter analysis that I do, I can actually see that growth pretty clearly mm -hmm. at like, I think it's like five or 6% a month. So pretty tremendous if you, if you extrapolate that out. And, but then everything we hear about streaming and everything we hear about, um, you know, the celebrity D and D thing, like, you know, I was listening to, to, to Matt Mercer, who uh, is the, the, the fellow that runs the critical role uh, uh, stream and they have billboards up in LA Right. Of, hi of him, you know, running a D&D game. And he, he was talking about, like, you know, what do you think, like, movie producers think about when they're driving by and they look up and, like, is that is that a billboard for people playing Dungeons & Dragons? Like, how the hell did that happen? You know, and I think that's kind of the way I feel. Like, how the hell is this all happening? You know, there's um, Matt Colville, right? Matt Colville runs a YouTube channel where he does D&D &D advice. And, you know, and I watched it. You know, I hadn't really heard of Matt Colville until about nine months ago. And I started asking around about where are people getting, you know, D&D advice. And then a lot of people said, oh, you should check out Matt Colville. I'm like, oh, okay. And I did. And I'm like, wow, this guy's great. And he has a fantastic method for, you know, for, for, for his, his presence is great. And he, he talks, he talks fast, which I guess bothers some people. But for me, it's like great information throughput. And, and he's just super charismatic and very, very smart. And I was like, man, this guy's really good. And then he puts up a Kickstarter and he makes a million dollars in like a week. Right. For, for a book, right? For a, for a source book. And granted, there's a lot of background behind that. It's actually money that's going towards him setting up a studio to do streaming. You know, but like, holy cow. I mean, the guy literally became a millionaire, you know, on his own. Nobody, nobody, he didn't, he didn't get hired by anybody. He didn't, you know, there wasn't a set of gatekeepers that said, okay, you're allowed to do this. He just did it on his own. 
And now he's a millionaire. And that's just, you know, like, holy cow, trying to get our heads around that is crazy. So, yeah, that's 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 what comes to mind when you ask that question. Yeah. And that's that's more or less how I meant it. And that was one of the things I wanted to chat about is just uh, his Kickstarter. I think it's Strongholds and Followers. And it's a book, but it, like you said, there's also it's also going to finance some of the the YouTube content he's putting out. And yeah, that's not a name that I've been familiar with, and I right. don't have time to watch a lot of streams or YouTube yeah, channels. Right. So I was also sort of like, wow, that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, I've thought about other successful Kickstarters with, you know, a name like. Monty Cook. So if he throws out a Kickstarter, like that's hugely successful, and there's like right. mil- millions of dollars that go to that. But also even the Dwarven Forge stuff that has made millions of dollars for tabletop terrain for people to use. So there's definitely an interest. There's definitely that level of support for these products, and it just seems like it's growing exponentially, but not mm-hmm. necessarily from. Oh. Exponentially is really big, yeah. <laughs> so maybe not exponentially, but it's not not linearly. We can certainly say that. But it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's totally coming from Pathfinder and D anD. d It seems right. like it's this nebulous thing that's growing everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think it's pretty safe to say that it's that it's pretty heavy on D anD. d If you look at the streams that are most successful, they're they're usually running D anD. d um, the, the, you know, Mike Marles has stated more than once that more people are playing Dungeons and Dragons now than like since the late eighties. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think, you know, and, and this has come up on Twitter quite a bit with all of this stuff, which is that a rising tide is, is raising all boats. And I think it's helping other RPGs. I think certainly people play D&D and they like it, but then they go, I'd, I'd like something with more of a science fiction bent. So they go for something like Numenera, or they said, I want something more hardcore. So they get Shadows of the Demon Lord. Or I played 4E and I liked it, but 4E is not really supported now, so they go to 13th Age. You know? Or I really like story-focused games, so I want something like Fate Core or, or Dungeon World. You know, I think, I think that happens, um, but I think that, yeah, the, you know, Kind of everything that I'm seeing is really is really pointing to this this center focus on D and D, which I think is great because I think it's a great system. And the streaming, you know, I've talked to some other guests just about streaming culture and the pros and cons of getting into that individually. And it certainly has. I don't think there's any doubt that it's helped the hobby. It's made it more visible. It's made it more accessible for people to see what does a D and D game look like. Because before you'd have to know somebody who was playing and go watch them play and now you can just click on a link on youtube or go on twitch or you can you can watch any number of people play but you can watch really talented dms and players have this very in some ways elaborate presentation of what a game is like and what are your thoughts on that whole i mean it seems like it's been the last couple of years where it's really taken off. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm 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 fascinated, and uh, I think it's wonderful that that you know, as a, as you know, my my focus ever since I sat down and said I want to make a blog about D and said I want to focus on making DMs better. You know, I mean, it's always been sort of said that DMs are sort of the drivers that are going to keep the game going, and I said, okay, so how do we? You know, I love DMing. I had been DMing before I started the site. So how do we how do we DMs really look at this at this art and craft of ours and get better at it? And now those those additions, being able to watch Critical Role and being able to watch these other these other streams and different ones, you know, and and learn from these DMs continually. I just I, I I imagine the quality of the dungeon masters we have in the world today compared to the quality of dungeon masters that we've had over the past thirty or forty years. It's so much better now. Like that that probably is exponential. You know, like we really because we have such exposure, not just to rules or message forms where we can argue about stuff, but to actually watch people doing it. Um, yeah, I mean both for new DMs who say, you know, what the hell does D and D even look like? To those of us who watch Matt Mercer, you know, and be like, wow, that's a really different style that he's got. You know, let me, I want to, I want to, I want to, I know, like, when I watch Matt Mercer play D&D, I run my D&D games differently. You know, like, the, the more I watch him, the more I, I, I start to kind of just pick up, you know, pick up ideas that he's got and, and subconsciously start to channel some of that. And it's like, I've been playing D&D for 30 years, and I'm doing that, so... You know, I think it's great. I think it's I think it's it's wonderful. It's a little for somebody that tries to stay like deep into this topic. It's a little scary, too. It's like, you know, 
am I literally going to be looking at a at a dust cloud and go and while the entire thing sort of rides past? You know, like you you mentioned, you know, we didn't know Matt Colville, right? It's sort of I think you know we're I, I feel like I was a little late to the game in, in seeing it. I, I tend to be late to the game to a lot of these things. And I remember like um, our our friend Enrique Bertrand, the guy who runs the new BDM website, right. and he and I had been talking, and he was like, you know, we were we were all like the blogger, you and me and him and a few others were all sort of the big blogger types back in the 4E days. And he said, like, who are who are the new blogger types going to be? You know, who's the next group? And that kind of got me started in the whole like, well, let me look at a million tweets and, and see what I see. And even then, I still missed all this stuff. Right. Like, it's not just that there's new bloggers. It's that Matt Colville is going to come out of nowhere and suddenly <laughs> and suddenly take over the thing. Or Matt, you know, uh, Matt Mercer is going to is going to you know, he's going to run a D&D, a streaming D&D game that had 100,000 live viewers. You know, if you had asked us five years ago, do you think if somebody streamed a D&D game that 100,000 people would watch? would be like, are you crazy? You'd be lucky to get 10. You know? Like, what's streaming? Yeah, right, right. Like, what's streaming? Like, but once you explain it, you'd be like, no one wants to watch someone else play D&D. You know, that's insane. It's like, actually, and I think that's that's another part of it. You mentioned just the the ability for people to kind of watch what D&D looks like and play. But I think there's also a very large group that just likes watching. And, and there's some... I, I think I've seen people that are like, you know, I've seen tweets and I've seen I've seen uh, people that are like, don't just watch, you know, you should get out there and play. Well, maybe not, you know, like I don't want to play Overwatch, but I like watching it. You know, I know you're you're a crazy good Hearthstone guy, and you know how I, you know, played a lot of Hearthstone, and then you got a little bit of a love hate hate love relationship yeah, but, with uh, that game. Do you? I, I I have switched well over to the hate side. <laughs> Um, only because I just I, I find I'm a miserable person when I'm playing, both as you know how I feel and how I how I uh, uh, project myself. That I'm game really... and others can lead to some anger. There's no doubt. Yeah, about it. right. And it's like, man, I'm not having fun, and yet I'm paying a ton of money. Anyway, but I love watching uh, Trump. Not 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 the you know not the new Trump. The the Hearthstone, Hearthstone Trump. celebrity. Yes, Trump. Yeah. He's so much better than actual Trump. And he, um, you know, I love watching him play. Hearthstone. And one of the things I love about him is that he is so calm <laughs> all the time. He never loses. Like, he'll lose it, but he loses it, like, in a funny, self-deprecating way. And I'm like, man, you know, he is so much happier at this game than I am. But I, so I love, like, my, my wife and I watch him over breakfast, you know, and watch the Hearthstone. And it's fun. And then we'll kind of step away and watch other things. So I, I think it's sort of disingenuous of people to say, like, everybody that's watching D&D should play D&D. Because, you know what? hell they can go they can watch there's nothing wrong with that and i guarantee you the hundred thousand people that watch matt colville they're not all playing D. no and i just i always make comparisons to sports and there's something else yeah. that i pay attention to so i mean the nfl is watched by what tens of millions of people curling, is curling a sport curling is a sport yes but that's every four years it's watched by a bunch of people <laughs> right everyone gets real into it but football there's a lot of people who watch football that don't play football and maybe they have kids that play or maybe they play when they were younger but it's still it's drama it's something that is in some ways unpredictable it's one of the last non-scripted things that you can watch out there and i would imagine watching D D games if you follow it almost like a show that you get invested in characters oh, you get yeah. invested in plot lines yeah. and it's yeah. something you can follow and tune into every every right. week yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly a generational thing. It feels like a generational thing, but there's there's always other variables that, that can come into it, which is like, you know, and I've talked to many other people um, of 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 our age range. We're like, who the hell has the time to watch all this? You know, like my wife and I are trying to make a concerted effort to watch Critical Role and we like it very much. And we love the actors and we love the characters and yeah, really enjoying it. But, oh, my God, we are we're behind. Like we're we're already behind. There are only four episodes in and we're still on episode two. And we know, like, man, we're just, you know, we're in debt. Right? Like, we're not we're not going to be able to watch it. Well, and plus, there's some of the psychology folks I've talked to. They have a stream Clinical Role that they uh, it's all mental health providers who are playing D&D and you can watch that. So. There's so many options out there. It's oh yeah, like you said. I, mean, I, I don't know how. How do you one. balance it all? Right, right. And you know that, like, oh man, I would love to watch Adam Colville. Oh, Adam Adam Colville run D and I keep calling Colville Coble. And you know, there's all the and then Chris Perkins, of course, has his whole series. There's so many of them, and I'm like, man, I'm sure there's awesome stuff in these. And I just, there's no way I can digest it all. You know. One of the topics related to this that came up a few weeks ago, and I saw you going back and forth 
with I think it was Perkins on Twitter was the idea of you know Dungeons and Dragons through their official streams, yeah, promoting content but at the same time spoiling content. Yeah, that, that torqued me off a little. <laughs> I, well, I just thought it was an interesting conversation where the cost benefit of them putting out their best products and showing them off versus almost making the DM's job a little bit harder of, well, now you have to make up something else for your group. Right. What, right. Any additional thoughts on that now that it's I been mean, a few weeks? Uh, I, I really, I, I really hope they don't. Right. Like, I mean, it, like it was, a, it was a very specific situation for me, but I imagine it's not, I'm not the only one, which was, we're watching, um, uh, PAX, you know, the, the, the PAX, uh, acquisitions incorporated game. And, um, you know, there, there had already been some pretty decent tube of annihilation spoilers in the adventure that they had brought up, but you're like, okay, but that's not terrible. Like the soul engine and, you know, the, now, now I'm going to mention some spoilers, you know, that there's these, you know, there are aspects of the game that the Sarak is involved. Well, he's on the cover of the book. I'm not worried about it. And the soul engine. Okay. You know, that, that's not a big deal. And Omu and the fact, you know, the, what city that it's in and what, you know, and then the fact that there's a, okay, that's all good. But then he spoils the one big reveal of the like why is this Arak doing this and what what kind of made me mad is it wasn't in a circumstance that looked like it was going to be spoiled like he had gone way off the rails with the game like couldn't you know like doctor who level stuff and then had an npc of himself mentioned the ending of the game and i'm like Wah! and my wife was watching and she's playing and we were gonna run it right and haven't even started it yet and she's like she looks at me with her mouth wide open and i'm like oh my god you know so it's like yeah i can deal with it you know I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out if i had other if i had other players that got spoiled i can either change it or i can just not make it as much of a surprise but now i've got to do that right so I, I don't know. I, I feel like they there are it feels to me and not not being in their shoes and not having anything to do with marketing or anything like that, that there's certainly ways that they could capitalize, you know, that they could promote the current season of whatever adventure they're running without spoiling like the big reveal of the fifty dollar hardback adventure that many people have barely started, much less finished. Well, and I imagine it's a new problem. It's. Yeah, it's this right. new opportunity and also a little bit yeah. of a of a problem, and maybe it's a problem for a small set of people who end up tuning into that. But I don't know if it's something they've considered. I mean, I'm sure they are now, and now that it's been brought, I hope. Yeah. brought to right. their like, attention. That's, that's all I want. It's like maybe next time they'll just be a little bit more careful about spoiling the end of an adventure. Like spoil what you want, right? But you know, but that's less of an issue if you have this stream that you know 500 people are watching. And not really many people are paying attention to it, but when you right. have, like you said, a hundred thousand people tuning in live. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many watch Acquisitions Incorporated, but it's a lot. And then three of three of the six players in my group watch it. <laughs> and I had to email them like, "Don't watch it." Like, "Oh man, I'm glad you told me. I was I was going to hit it." You know, so yeah. And and it's a great show. Like, I want to watch it, right? But I can't if if it's going to be filled with spoilers. My wife and I can't watch it if I'm going to run that adventure. So. Speaking about like a uh, rising tide and all these different um, projects and stuff that are getting off the ground, or just corporations like D and D, like or just products like D and D, becoming more popular, y you also have a new product out there that you're running a Kickstarter for now. I do. Um, Return yep. of the Lazy Dungeon Master, which is a sequel to the Lazy Dungeon Master. Did you give have any thoughts of Lazy Dungeon Master Two Electric Boogaloo as a title? I did. We 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 were considering Lazy Dungeon Master Two, the Lazy Dungeon Mastering. Nice. Um, yeah, there was actually my my on on so almost all of these books actually take place on walks between my my wife Michelle and I where we talk about D and D, and I think we had a whole series of Revenge of the Lazy Dungeon Master and you know Rise of yeah the Rise of the Lazy all all kinds of stuff. Well, the third one can be Return of the Lazy Lazy Dungeon Master again. Yeah, right. The Lazy Dungeon Master <laughs> Awakens. I think is going to be here pretty soon. So as we're recording this, you got three weeks left to go, <laughs> yes. and you got about twenty eight hundred backers, and yeah, um, well, yeah. well over the goal. So congratulations on all yeah, that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I, I really expected it to be about a third. Like on my my optimistic my optimistic side was about a third of this. And so, what is going to be in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master? And I know you can look at the table of contents online and yep. some of this stuff that you have titled I, i've seen you write about before and tweet about before certainly mm -hmm. i guess in general what made you want to write a sequel to the first book 
Um, so one thing very specifically, which is that a um, something that I picked up playing video games, certain video games, um, and I sort of refined. I don't, I, you know, I, I shudder to even say that it's like a, a an individual idea because I'm sure this this is something that other people have come up with. Um, but an idea that I that I had been calling secrets and clues. Um, I sort of, ref- you know, threw out as an idea on Sly Flourish and then refined it more and more. And then I started noticing that I used it all the time and I would start to talk to people about it. And then a lot of times they wouldn't quite get it. And then every so often they get it and they go, ah, so that's really interesting. And to me, it, it fills a very specific gap of we know what combat in D&D looks like uh, and we know what role playing in D&D looks like, you know, interaction between characters in D&D. But the, the third pillar is this exploration pillar. And it, it, you know, it wasn't ever clear to me exactly what the gameplay looks like in that portion, right? I mean, it's skill checks and it's, you know, checking doors for, you know, poison needle traps and stuff. But like, what else was there? And I, and I kind of realized that this idea of, of secrets and clues can kind of fill that gap. And the, the concept behind a secret and clue is you have this, this one line tweet size piece of lore, and it could be either a secret that like, you know, is relevant to the specific game that's going on, or it could be a piece of history. It could be, you know, some information about one of the characters, one of the NPCs that's connected to the characters. It could be kind of any story focused thing that fits into about one sentence. And you don't necessarily have to tie it to any object or situation in a game. You just sort of write 10 of them down and keep them handy. And then while the game is getting played, they can, the characters can start to discover these things in just about any way that they're interacting with anything else. And um, I found it to be so. I I I think that the the place where I originally got the idea was um, the 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 Dark Souls franchise. I you know Bloodborne, which is the PS4 version of Dark Souls, kind of. It's a PS4 unique game mm-hmm. based in, in the Dark Souls world. And Dark Souls three uh, three I guess was the last one. And one of the things it does is every item in the game has this like really weird, creepy, cryptic t- tie of history to it. You know, so you'll pick up like an eye and it says like the eye of the the witches of Halavan always used to, you know, do whatever. And you're like, who the hell are the witches of Halavan? You know, I never even heard of these these creep, creepy people. And you, you could kind of learn about, you know, and, and in Dark Souls, you never even really learned the whole thing. But you could kind of learn pieces of what the hell's going on in the world by just picking up objects and, and reading the narr- the descriptions. And because they were short, you would actually read them. You know, it wasn't 16 pages of text. Anyway, I've been using this in my DD game, and it was really it, it, it made a big difference in how I run my games, and I think made my life much easier. And that wasn't in the Lazy Dungeon Master. Um, and I and I wrote I have an article on Sly Flourish now called like Secrets and Clues: The Lost Chapter of the Lazy Dungeon Master, where I got into that. Uh, but I always felt like you know, man, I wish I could add that in. And I had you know, I even had people that said like, hey, I love that the Secrets of Clues. Can't you just sort of edit the Lazy Dungeon Master and stick that in? And I'm like, man, I'll be pulling a thread because there's lots of things in the Lazy Dungeon Master I want to change, and there's lots of stuff that has changed in the world. So then I kind of said, okay, I have a feeling that at some point I'm going to basically take the 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 kernel. Uh, uh, the core topic of that book and, and re not, not exactly. Yeah. I guess like rewrite it, you know, just mm-hmm. starting with what we know today, starting, you know, well into the fifth edition of D and D and, 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 you know, focus again on that topic and then, you know, expand out from there and, and, and return to the lazy dungeon master is what, what came from that. Um, now I was, I was also very lucky that my Kickstarter last year, um, Fantastic Adventures uh, did very well as well, and it it gave me the the ability to take an, a month off from work and focus exclusively on writing this book. Um, so I went to all my various bosses and told them what I was going to do, and they were all on board. and And I I spent an entire month at a mall in a coffee shop writing <laughs> you know writing this book, and it was awesome. Like it was one of the best months I've had in my life. You know, <laughs> it was really although I was sick, so don't get the flu three days into your sabbatical. Not fun. But um, still, it was it was absolutely great. And and I just read everything I could read. I read like every Dungeon Master's Guide or Game Master Guide to every system that was, you know, that I could get my hands on. I read a bunch of DM advice uh, books that people had put out. Uh, I poured over blogs and articles and tried to really expand beyond what my own, my normal 
uh, sphere is, you know, like, like there's all the people that I typically read, but who are the people I'm not reading? Mm -hmm. You know, what are people saying on Reddit? I don't, I don't go to the Reddit D and D site very much. What are the questions that are coming up on the stack exchange D and D forums, you know, and I really tried to just gather as much information as I could and tried to coalesce it and circle. I looked at like old guides that people had put up that are huge. Like in some cases, like 200 page guides to how to DM that were written 10 years ago and stuck up on the web and, and lost, you know, and I'd pull these down and look at them. And I also took a lot of uh, previous surveys and um, questionnaires and polls and things that I had run both on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, in 2016, I ran a big DM survey with 6,600 DMs. And there was a lot of open text field or a couple of open text fields in there that I could really dig into. Mm -hmm. So I tried to get as much information about DMing as I could and refine it. Uh, to the point where it could, you know, be put into a book that was actually useful for people to to read. And one of those surveys that I think you sent out maybe a year or so ago was about the the top traits of good uh, G yeah. GMs, and I think you summarized the top three, which is flexibility, creativity, and improvisation. And that's one of the chapters in the new book. So, yep. how did that come together? Um, so that, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it, what's interesting is sort of flexibility, creativity and inspiration, or I'm sorry, improvisation all kind of feel like core interrelated, um, skills. And what I, what I like about it is I, I think that they are, there are specific things that we can do that make us, you know, that improve us in those areas, but I don't think we'll ever master them. Like we could spend our whole lives getting better at that. And, and it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be worthwhile. It's not, it's not like learning how to do initiative where once you've got it, you kind of got it. You know, you're not really going to refine that. Although people spend plenty of time talking about how to refine initiative. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and, and that, that, you know, that to me, and I try to do this, you know, like you, you, you're, you're, you're a scientist. You can kind of, you know, get, I think the idea that I, I don't want to get, I want to break out of whatever whatever groove I have in my head, right? I have ideas about what a good DM is or what a good DM should do, but I don't know. I'm just one person, and I don't know that my ideas – I know my ideas are no better than anyone else's. So how do I get sort of the aggregate of ideas together to, to kind of see like, okay, like – we have hundreds of thousands of DMs who've been running hundreds of thousands, you know, maybe million, I'm sure millions of games. How can we try to tap into that a little better to go like, you know, the, the majority of them believe this is true. And I, and I thought that it was very interesting that if you were to ask like a new DM what's important to run D&D, rules would come up, right? right? No, the rules knowledge. And rules knowledge was like, if it was on that list, it was like the 17th thing. It was really low on the list. And that that came, you know, and I've, I've, I've that that survey that you mentioned came from one particular source, which was, I think, like a Facebook post, and there was a two or 300 responses. But I've also seen similar results come out of much larger sets of, of responses uh, when I did like a sampling of the open text responses on the DM survey. And they, they, they come back to this idea that, that improvisation and flexibility and creativity are really key, key traits. Well, I've, um, I've appreciated your willingness to invest some time in this, to not only try to tap into the hive mind that is Twitter and social media, but to try to organize that information in something that's meaningful rather than just competing anecdotes. Um, yeah, so, right. So doing right. these surveys, I know in the past you've kind of sent them to me and some other folks ahead of time and say, hey, how should I word this or what do you think about these questions? Right. And then taking the time to compile all the mm -hmm. data that you get from people and organize it in a meaningful way and then – take it a three or four steps further and trying to parse that into something that's meaningful for the rest of us who are just, right. you know, yeah, and, trying to run and, our games. Yeah. I mean, a, a key, and I get nailed on this all the time. Like this is still not good science. <laughs> like, like I'll, I'll, I'll go to Facebook and I'll see somebody post the thing like, Hey, what are the good traits of a DM? And I'll download all of the responses and then stick them into a Python script and word, you know, split out all the words and look at common terms and common things that are coming up and I'll do as, as best I can. But that doesn't mean the original data is a good statistical sample, right? It's like, well, it's biased because of the source I got it right. from and it's biased by so many other factors. But to me, it's better than reading it and pretending you know what it says. It's got to be better than one opinion. <laughs> like if I if I take 200 opinions and I really go through the trouble of figuring out what those 200 opinions had to say, that's got to be better. In, if, and my assumption is I'm trying to get an idea of generally what people are finding. That's got to be better than if I just made it up. 
Well, and thinking ahead to the next, you know, return of the return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, (laughs) if you were to send out a similar questionnaire, but just asking, uh, you know, GMs who do streaming, like what makes for a good stream or what makes for a good game through streaming, you would probably get responses that overlap, but there'd probably be some other skills and other important factors in there that wouldn't show up with just asking DMs who play on tabletop and face-to-face games. Yeah. It's a different sample. It's a different yeah. outcome. But yeah, it's a, it's a real interesting. It's interesting you bring that up. I actually I posted a question on on Twitter, not not expecting to get like 200, 300 replies that I could actually do any sort of you know any sort of analysis on, but just generally asking. And and I, I know you know so I'm 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 friends with a couple of streamers and there's a couple others that will sometimes take my tweets and. Um, I asked them, like, what do they, you know, there's, there's this big topic that's coming up. And I, I think it's a big, juicy topic, and I, I want to explore it without without simplif- oversimplifying it and really kind of get into it, which is, you know, there's this idea that, like, well, that's good for streams, but that's not good for my game. Mm. And that there's this idea, and, and, and actually there is a very large Facebook post about Adventurers League uh, that I was reading earlier today um, about – what are the things that people look for in organized play games and what are the things that people look for in streaming games and how do they differ? And it kind of got into the tactical versus story. It was sort of the, 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 the bivariate view of it, right? That there's, you know, there's people who want to sit down and, you know, have a big battle map and have a bunch of miniatures and really think through the, the tactics of their, of their battle. And then the story is sort of just bringing them from battle to battle. And then there's people who are like, I could go a whole session without, looking at my miniature you know and and obviously those are the extremes but um the idea was like what what is what are the things that people are looking for and and is this gap getting closed and what i thought was interesting is the idea that is it is it a streaming thing or not and i and i so i posted a question saying what are the criteria that seem to make streaming games different than home games and I, i got a fair bit of responses some very detailed responses from people who run streaming games and home games and and both sides, but none of them were real specific. They were all sort of like, well, presence, presence is much more important. Or, you know, I, uh, you know, some people said they got to, you know, the streams that are going to do well, have good looking, funny people that do voices. And you're like, you know, is that, but you know, is that really true? Like, is that, I don't, you know, it didn't get to like the meat, which is like, how is the, how is the technique of running the game different between those two? Because I watch them, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't presume to think that my D and D game is that much better than anyone else's D and D game, but the the stuff that I see, I, I don't think is out of reach, right? When I watch, I mean, you know, Matt Mercer running Critical Role. He's it's great and it's a fun game and I like watching it, but I don't look at it and go, man, my game is so far from that. I could never get that. And most of it is because I have players that I love that are that are great players. Right. And so we are funny and, you know, we are like people sometimes role play the voices and sometimes don't. And that's okay. Like, I don't need everybody in talking in character the whole time to have a good time. But I don't feel like that the gap is as big as it feels. And maybe I'm living in my own bubble and it turns out that, you know, everyone else's game and they're they're struggling a lot more with this but i i i think that there's definitely a and and mike merles brought it up in a in a in a, in a online in an interview i i did with him where he he said like there's a big shift between the people who are really interested in the mechanics of D D and the people that are interested in more in the story and this influx of new players is you know according to him leaning much more towards this story focused thing and i think People are encapsulating that and, and kind of pointing at the streamers and sort of blaming it on the streamers for this change when it's not the streamers. It's it's you know, it's it's a whole new group of people that are seeking something different than what we would expect. And I think that's going to be a struggle. I think, you know, I know when I go to uh, organize play games, sometimes I feel like, you know, the players I'm playing with are far more interested in getting their characters to the next level than they are in figuring out what's going on. But then I, I also play in adventures where the story matters a lot and. Um, one of the things I was excited to see in organized play is that like people are getting story rewards where like they get a horse or they get mm. a title, you right. know, they they're, and they're like cards that say like you, you accomplish this big thing. You are now, you know, you now have this rank it's an achievement. Sure. It's an achievement. Right. And they were super excited about it. And I looked at them like that doesn't give you plus one to anything, <laughs> like, but, the, but they really liked it. So I was like, okay. And I, I, you know, and I went, wow, that's, that's really great. Like, you know, that, that is sort of a new way to, so I don't know. I think it's, I, I totally blew past whatever question you had. I don't remember. No, I, I mean, I find the streaming thing really fascinating. And the thing that I come back to is like in my professional line of work, I've always been 
really interested in the dynamics of online communication, like wrote some papers on that back in my former life as a graduate, <laughs> as a graduate student. Right. So the streaming thing is just another extension of that, whether it's people who are streaming video games or groups streaming D&D. And I would imagine that a good stream probably shares some characteristics of a good just in-person D&D game. But I also imagine that the the story, the characters, the people playing the game all have to be, I don't know, I think there's an element of trust that everyone has to have at the table. And that makes for a very good game in person, too. I think if you're playing with people you don't know or who you're a little unsure about, that can create some tension at a game. So if you have a group who's pretty cohesive and they all like each other and they they can improv off each other pretty well and it looks like they're having a good time, I think that's going to translate well over camera if they're being recorded. I think also everyone at the table, if they know they're being recorded, like they're trying to put on a performance. Sure. Whereas at a table, I think people – that aren't being recorded maybe are just worried about their own character or wanting to have a good time, but they're maybe not trying to entertain everybody else and an audience, mm-hmm. which creates a little bit of a different dynamic. And maybe in home games would be better if everyone took that mentality of, Hey, I want to be, I want to entertain people. It's not mm-hmm. just the DM's job to entertain people, but I can bring some of that entertainment too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other part is like I, I run games on weeknights. You know, I have a Wednesday game that I've had for ten years now, and it's like you know people work a full day of work, and then they're fighting traffic to get over here, and they they're waiting for their food to show up because they're hungry, you know, and and they're busy, right? And and so I don't I don't expect that they're all going to be like super gung ho and oh I can't wait. I mean, they, I'm just I'm happy they show up, right? Like I, <laughs> the fact that they'll fight Washington D.C. traffic every Wednesday to play D and D for three hours always makes me incredibly grateful, you know? So if they're checking their phones or they're playing a, a, a final fantasy game while they're playing some D and don't really care, you know, and I'm not going to get on their case about it. It's their time. They can, they can do what they want. And, and yet we still like, I've, I've, I've been very happy with my games. Like I've never felt like, Oh, I, just, I really wish that they would just get deeper into the story. It's like, no, you know, who the hell am I to make them do that? Like, I'm happy with what's going on. So, and they seem to be happy, or they wouldn't be showing up every week. I hope. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's maybe sometimes we're too. I don't know. Like I, you know, I'm not I'm not in other groups. I can't see what other groups look like. But are people being too hard on you know themselves and on on their players? Now, the other part is cultivating a really good group is super super important. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you don't get those people that you trust, or you do have like three people that really want a different kind of game than the other three, that's going to be really tough. And and I've you know, I've been lucky that that I I've had the right you know I've had a really great group where where everybody is happy with the kind of game, and and it wasn't through just luck. Like when I I was setting up a regular uh, game at the at a local game shop, um, I was very particular about the style of game. I said it's going to be a story focused game. We're going to use theater of the mind for combat a lot of the time, um, and you know so so if you're if that's the kind of game you're interested in, I'm I definitely want to talk to you more about well, that, it, right? that's one of the chapters in your book and something that i talked with dr megan connell about several months ago this idea of running a session zero and i wonder if yeah. that's related to her idea of having a session with everybody before you start the game sure yeah i think there's even a step before that which is the you know because like to me that like the session zero is you've got the right people at the table and now it's about you know how how are we together going to make sure that we're aiming in a direction that we're all happy with as far as the story goes, that our characters are interconnected. We know who the characters are. We, we know what we want from the game. We, we know where we're going to start off and we know what kind of game it's going to be. Uh, but the, the step before that is the, I don't necessarily know all the people I'm going to be playing with. How about we run a one shot and just see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that to me has been very effective. If I've, if I've met people and they are interested and I'm, and I have space for you or whatever, or even if I don't, I'll just say, Hey, well, you know, we, uh, we have, regular you know about once a month or so we have one shot games you know and and sort of the the people that can't commit to a weekly game um you know we can set up these sort of one shot games play for four or five hours and and see how we all gel right and and you know it's not really like a tryout exactly because sometimes they might not like the game either i had i had people i invited them and we played a few games and they said we loved it but it's you know it's not something we really want to do regularly and they're like great you know i'm glad we had we had a great time I wasn't mad, you know, they weren't mad, everything, everything worked out fine. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I think that that sort of trial for everybody, you know, these these sort of small campaign, either like one session or maybe as many as four sessions just to see like how, you know, are, are, are the styles right? Are, are people into it? And if they're not, then it's ending anyway. Right. You don't have to kick them out. Like to me, I, I never want to get to the point where I have to tell somebody, hey, you're not a good fit for the group. Um, you know, and, and we need you to not show up anymore. You know, I have never had to have that conversation. I really don't want to have to have that conversation. And the way that I've been able to do that is by, you know, keeping a pretty tight, you know, a tight, uh, idea on who comes to the regular games by having smaller games that aren't regular. You know, listening to you talk and also just following you along on Twitter, how many games are you in each week, each month? Uh, so I have two regular games a week. I have a, a Wednesday game for three hours, and I have a Sunday game for three hours. And then about once every month, we have a, a longer Saturday game where we try to get like we have my 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 wife's brother plays D and D, and his uh, his daughter plays D and D. So we try to have them come over, and we have some friends that live, you know, like an hour away. So they certainly couldn't make it to a regular game, but they can come for a five hour game on a weekend. Um, so I decided, yeah, so some usually two games a week, every so often three. So is there anything in the book or just your vast experience for folks who are maybe in my boat where trying to play once a month is a challenge, where mm -hmm. just everyone's busy, kids, work stuff, people are in and out of town. Right. How do you keep things so consistent? Because that to me is a skill. Yeah. A couple of ways. One is having a regular game that's weekly, kind of, you know, if people can commit to it, then it becomes it become the, the periodicity is such that people kind of know like, oh, yeah, it's Wednesday. Like my mom knows when my D&D game is right. Like my mom lives in you know Boston, but she knows when my D&D game is because it's been every Wednesday. And so oh. when it's when the when the period, you know, I, I, she watches I it on Twitch every Wednesday. Yeah, right. It's not on Twitch. Oh. <laughs> So that that helped a lot, like having, you know, doing a shorter session weekly um, helped. Uh, and, and, you know, people like, you know, people would they, they all have, you know, families and things going on in their lives. But it's kind of known like, well, this is their poker night. You know, Wednesday is when dad goes to play D&D at his friend's place, you know, and and it's just they've they've managed to work it into their schedule and it helps them and it helps, you know, their their their, their spouses are OK with it. Um, and, and, uh, that, that, that's part of it. The other part of it is I try to keep a group of primary players and alternate players. Um, so I have right now, I've, I've, I used to have a group that we had six primary players and two alternate players. And if any of the six primary said, I can't make it for whatever reason, I'd call the first alternate and say, Hey, we have a seat at the table. Are you interested? And, you know, with six, it was happening often enough that even the alternate got to be there almost as almost as often as some of the primary people. Right. Um, and I've recently shrunk the group down to five because I'm finding that I really like playing with four or five people more than I like playing with six. I love every one of them, but screen time and just, you know, kind of managing the table and everything. Six is right at the six level. Six is right. a lot. Yeah. Six is right when I'm about to lose it. Right. Seven. I can't handle. I can't do I can't do seven. But six. I'm like, I can manage it. But it's 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 really, you know, it takes a lot of work. Um, five. And I'm pretty comfortable. And four is great. The only thing with four is I'm so used to playing with six. I have a tendency of throwing three extra ogres in that I probably shouldn't have thrown in. So if I have five and then I have a couple of alternates, then anytime one of those five can't make it, I can call in the alternate. And like right now, I've got three alternates. So. You know, it has to be a bad session if I can't get and I only need four. Right. Mm -hmm. So it means that basically four people have to say they can't make it for a game. not. And how do you deal with the rotating cast, people dropping in and out? You know, I'm never worried about it. I just come up with some BS. <laughs> like I, I'm not my, my story is not so tight and, and wound up that I can't come up with something. I mean, I'll, I usually I literally come up with it on the spot. So the, the session on Wednesday, they were invading a uh, like a castle, a small a small keep. And there was this like undead guardian at the front of the keep. And the two two people, I ended it right at the beginning of the infiltration. So two of the characters were coming in the front while three characters are sneaking up in the back. And then one of the players who was playing the one of the characters sneaking in the front couldn't make it. And we had an alternate come in. And it was like the alternate was like wandering by and said, hey, 
You know, and I and I, I I totally like railroaded this where I'm like, you see, you know, you see a dwarf who seems to be struggling fighting an undead. And when you look at that dwarf, you are sure that he's got heroism deep down and you feel an undying desire to go help them. Right? It was like, I'm going to make you just join the group. Like, you know, I don't want to screw around with, well, are you a friend? You know, it's like we have three hours. Let's 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 get, get into it. Yeah, and no, and everybody just laughs, and that's fine. But then it was also like, well, the 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 undead guy waved a hand, and a portcullis came smashing down, and it clipped the the knight in the head and knocked him out, and now he's completely unconscious. And so everyone's like, ah, that's because George isn't here. <laughs> you know? And like, they all understood why it happened. The narrative was close enough. But I guess the the other part is like, my narrative is never so tight that I can't account for something like that, you know. And sometimes they're just not there, right? Like. Sometimes the character's not there and everybody knows they're not there and I don't have to come up with a reason because, you know, it wasn't it wasn't so big. There there are occasions where like one of the characters like central storyline was gonna happen and now they're the one that's not right. there. And you're like, oh man. You know, like it this literally was about them. And then I just figure something out, you know, but yeah, I just, I don't, I don't play it real tight and I, and I, I just kind of make things up. But I, I know like that's a big, I've seen a lot of people who talk about like, how do you, how do you handle that? It's like, yeah, eh, I don't worry about it. Yeah. I think you almost have to, I always enjoy the term hand wave. You just kind of have to hand wave it and everybody yeah, rolls like everybody with knows, it. Right. Everybody knows it's a problem. You know, we're all adults. We all know why that occurred. And and we just you know any any excuse is fine and sometimes even no excuse is fine. One of my favorite ones was when we were playing a couple of years ago the or maybe it was yeah I guess it was a couple of years ago wow Curse of Strahd and it was just the Death House adventure. Yeah. And Death House. Grant, who I've interviewed before on on this show, he was a character and he was exploring a library for months <laughs> as the rest of the party was down in the dungeon and fighting things right. and almost dying. And then they finally got back to the house and it's like, Hey, and there he is again. Cause he could finally join the game. <laughs> and he just was like rolled with it. He's like, yeah, man, I found some really interesting stuff in this library. Right. He's just been I think reading I, yeah. for months. And I months. remember that. I remember that library. And I think I actually had someone get lost in a book. Like they opened a book and they got sucked right. in. <laughs> I was like, Whoa, where the hell did they go? Yeah. That's a, that's a so, good yeah. mechanic. Just like, something like the take on me video from aha where you get sucked yeah, into a exactly, book and there's right. this adventure going on and it's just right they had their own thing yeah i've had it where people disappeared into portals and then come back and it's like by the way two years have passed for you and they're like whoa you know i better come up with some stuff so in terms of again talking about you know return of the lazy dungeon master what are some like people listening everyone's trying to improve their game they want their players at a better time they want to have a better time what's like one or two tips you would give out to people not only to tease the book but just to help folks have a better time at the table yeah i think i think the number one i I seem to be writing this everywhere so it's not it's probably not a big surprise and and to me it's been a big shift in how i've played games uh, which is just focusing on folk really focusing on the characters and in the in the return of the lazy dungeon master i have this like eight step Eight step is sort of the expanded one of, you know, if you're sitting down to prep your game, what are the eight things you do? And the very first one used to be, how is the game going to start? Like, what's the starting scene that's going to kind of get everybody involved? And I have since put a step ahead of that, which is review the characters. Even if just in your head, you're like, who are they? Just list them out. Right. And, And if you can't remember the names, like, well, what are they about? You know, and. Uh, just by sort of reciting them, almost like a mantra, you know, just by reciting them and saying like, you know, it's Tasabri and she's a druid from Cholt and she's here in, in, in Waterdeep to try to like expand her understanding of what. And when you say are. the characters, like, you're saying the the characters the at the table, characters. the player characters. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, one thing I've learned recently is that in the fifth edition style guide for Wizards of the Coast, there is only characters. There's there's they don't they don't call them player characters anymore. Um, so, I, so I have now since gotten used to just calling them characters, but sometimes it's confusing. Um, yeah, so the player characters, like what are the what are the player characters? Who, you know, what are they? And then you know, who are they? What do they want? What what's driving them? And and by just sort of preceding my brain with that, their their stories start to come out in the other aspects. Um, and it matters while we're prepping for the game, in my opinion, and it matters when we're running the game. To, to remember that, like, the players care about their characters, period. Like, they don't, you know, en- Enrique, you know, and, and we've we've caught no small amount of crap on Twitter because I totally agree with him, but it's so harsh, which is like, they don't care about your story. 
Right. You know, they don't care about your big ass world. They don't care about the temple and that and your your history, your four thousand year history, or the twenty six gods that matter. They don't care. They want to know what's in front of them and what they can do with it. You know, and and at every point, it doesn't matter if they're level one and they're in a bar and the bar guy says, hey, man, I got some big rats down the basement. You want to go help me with those rats? You know, like that's something they can do something about, you know, or you're in a bar and, and you know, a, a cultist knifes a guy on a table. What do you do? You know, and, you know, so that that fo- that constant continuing focus on who are the characters? What do they want? What's in front of them? You know, and how can you how can you tug on their threads? You know, one of my one of my characters in my current game is a well, he's one of the new ranger. I can't remember the name of the build, but he's essentially like a ranger that knows stuff about portals in the outer planes. Mm-hmm. So he's the guy that knows where all the teleporters are connecting to. And now I don't have to figure out how they're going to figure that out because I'm like, he just knows it. Right. Like when a when a villain uses a teleporter to go from one part of the city to the other, he could tell that it occurred. And he can start to figure out where it went to. And and I know that I can do that because I know about his character, right? It's it's in my mind before I'm doing anything else. So that yeah, to me like that that that's probably the biggest tip that I've certainly had to, you know, wire into my own brain. Because I, I wasn't that way either. I like my characters. I like you know, I'd spend forever building bad guys and they get really pissed off when they get killed, you know, <laughs> round in. I mean that was that that pretty much was my entire fourth edition experience was watching guys I loved get killed. And trying um, and, and trying to I'm give epic monsters more and more tricks to not get killed. Yeah, and right. And to the point where I wrote monsters for Wizards of the Coast just so my players would get their asses kicked once right. in a while. You know, so you know, and now it's like, you know, I don't I don't care about the monsters nearly as much. Like I want them to be interesting and I'll certainly have villains that I like. Um, but you know, sometimes I'm just happy throwing three cultists at him and letting the cultists get their asses kicked. Like I don't, I don't need to have these like well-tuned, super clean battles where it's like a chess game between me and five other players, which I'm always going to lose. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm so so instead, you know that and and Dungeon World, you know, I think we we talked about Adam Kobold before, and you know, one of the things in Dungeon World, which is be be fans of the characters, right? Like they're the heroes of the story, and we're all rooting for them. And I think that's not super intuitive. You know? Well, I've always used, again, another sports thing, and I've written about this, I mean, years ago now, but the idea of the DM being an entertainer, but also a bit of a point guard on a basketball court. So your job is to set up the players. I don't, I don't have any idea what that is. What's that? <laughs> I don't have any idea what that so is. So it's a player that usually brings the ball up the court and passes the ball and puts other people in position to score. And I think that goes along with your idea of, reviewing the characters of like what is every character's strong suit what are they good at what are they not so great at and that also gives you the opportunity if you're more of a tactical dm and want to challenge them in a in a combat situation knowing what each character can do yeah that's certainly and like if you know that especially if you're playing with a group and you kind of know their tricks like okay the fighter does this the wizard does that like you can set up villains or situations where it goes against their strengths, and that can be enjoyable. I, I just think your idea of just know your group, know the characters, and know the people who are playing them, what, know what they like, know what they don't like about a game, and it's just going to make the whole experience more enjoyable. Yeah, the the, the times where I use, uh, where I really get to know the capabilities of the characters in order to tune a fight are much less now than they used to be. And, um, you know, like I, I really I'm not kidding. Like in fourth edition, I always worried about mm-hmm. that. And and now I really just like I, I, I barely check the stat block before I run it. Um, and except in like really important boss fights, I ran Imrith, the, the boss from Storm King's Thunder. And my trick there was like she fought him like four times <laughs> so that I, I really got to see like what are they going to do when they're facing off against her? Like what's going to happen? What do I have to worry about? What could what could pin her down? And boy, she was brutal. You know, <laughs> like she was really, really rough. And th- but that was it. Like that was really the only time that I would that I would really, um, you know, it's a, it's. A, I think it's a good idea that that you know, if we want to run challenging fights, it's good to know what what's going to happen in those fights. But sometimes it's like, well, I just, even if it's going to get totally one shotted or you know, one rounded, that's a, that could be an interesting story too. Yeah. And so, not, um, so I tend to work a lot less. About yeah, that. not every encounter has to be. A, yeah. a make or break thing. A knockout. That, yeah, yeah, right. Takes right. too long. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's probably a lot of people that still feel that way. And I've seen in AL, like the, or, the organized play, the Adventures League organized play adventures where like the battles, you know, we, we had one and it drove me crazy. where like we're going down the street and there's people breaking into a shop because the town guard are busy and we get into a fight with them. And it's like it's three swashbucklers and two master assassins. And I'm like, swashbucklers and master assassins are robbing a dress shop. <laughs> Like, what sense does that? Well, and the guy's like, well, it's a balanced encounter. I'm like, I don't care if it's a balanced encounter. It should be three thugs. Right. You know? Like, I don't care if I'm level nine. It should, you know, because I'm level nine, does it make everybody in the city suddenly raise levels too? You know, so so that is, a, it's a shift, you know. And, and Well, it goes back to your, big... I think, from shifting from fourth edition to fifth and your interest yeah. level of going more from a tactical experience to more of just the story and right. combat yeah. maybe taking a little bit of a backseat. Right. Yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, just my own my own sort of transitions in this is like I was very heavy tactical map, paid lots of attention. Like I said, you know, you I have the articles to, to prove the point, it. There's no doubt. Yeah. Like I got to the point where Wizards of the Coast hired me to write monsters for them, like not for an official book, but I used to write it for D&D Insider. So I spent a lot of time thinking about monster design. And now I like I, I, I turn down jobs for monster design because i'm like there's so many people that are more interested in it than i am and i'll just use what's in the monster manual <laughs> like i'm happy with what we have you know every time i hear people saying like oh you know what i really want are more monsters i'm like are you kidding me like between toma beasts and volo's guide and uh the monster manual we don't have enough and it's like no it's like well how about the creature codex and morden canons now we've got <laughs> we're gonna have five monster books here yeah if you include the cobalt press sure. stuff so, yeah, so but, but people, oh, I can always use more monsters. So it's like, okay. I mean, I love monsters too. You know, I love my liches, you know, so. So know. other than the thousands of uh, NDAs you can't talk about, what what is next for you? Certainly this Kickstarter, which is going oh my, on. Yeah, so so the Kickstarter, yeah, like I said, I mean, I, it, it, when when my wife and I, I was kind of trying to extrapolate like what is going to happen. One thing I learned is like, I didn't just throw all my stretch goals out there on day one and then, you know, watch them all just disintegrate super fast because, you know, I underestimated what we were going to receive. So this time I like, I would hit a stretch goal and then pace out when the next one came out only, I don't know. I don't even know why some, sometimes Kickstarters put them out and they don't have any goals at all. And, and, and I had, but I had an idea in my head about like, what's, you know, what's the minimum I need in order to make a book that I think people will really like? And what is the sort of, you know, the, my expectation about what I'll receive and what I can build for that? And then what if, 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 you know, if money weren't an object, what would I be able to build? And and I hit that third one, you know, pretty quickly and even went beyond it where I'm like, you know, we're going to do what. So my my year is going to be completely focused on return of the lazy dungeon master and, and particularly on the, so the, the book is written itself and it's, you know, already with Scott Fitzgerald gray, who's the editor. He has already has it. Oh, so we're, we're already, I interviewed him yeah. a long time ago, my blog. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Great awesome. Guy. yeah. So he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything, anything I can put in front of him, I, I put in front of him cause he's, he's absolutely fantastic. And, um, he edited lazy, he edited, uh, fantastic locations and fantastic adventures. Um, my previous two books and any, every chance I get to work with him, I, I want to work with him. So he's editing this, which is fantastic. And, um, but the one, so I already had a lot of that sort of in, in, and I wanted to make sure before I launched a Kickstarter that I know I can actually do this. Uh, but the part that was the primary piece of the stretch goals is this lazy dungeon master workbook, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of the toolkit that somebody can take with them when they're going to go run a game and then use it. And it's going to have like 10 quick reference sheets that both are focused on lazy dungeon master ideas and on reference sheets for running like a 5e game. Um, you know, the sort of things that you don't get in a dungeon master screen or in other references. Um, and then the, the big stretch goal addition was these things called lazy layers, which are 10, uh, 10 dungeons that are like common, commonly used dungeons. Uh, so, you know, we joke about the mundane, this is like Sly Flourish's mundane right. locations. Tower, <laughs> docks, know, mines, the, catacombs, cellars, yep. Yeah, you you have the list right there. I, I am <laughs> so, reading from the Kickstarter. I'm cheating. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's literally like what are, and I, I had to kind of sit and say like what are the most common places that we use, and then I want to write nice maps of, you know for them. I would commission them. They're 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 good you know, maps from artists that I used for, for that with Fantastic Adventures. They look great. They'll be good for virtual tabletop play. And the idea is they're you know you don't 
they're not an adventure. You just have them handy. And if you end up in the sewers, you have the sewers. Or if you go, you know, the, I, I, I had many times where like, oh, I, we find an old temple. Ah, OK, well, let me pull out my temple map, you know. So the, the idea is that you can kind of pull these things out and use them as sort of a template for a dungeon when you don't have something on hand, because sometimes it can be hard to have something right. on hand. And and the final stretch goal for that is that each one is going to have like a one page lazy layer description, which will give you flavor text that you can read for each of the rooms. So then you don't you really don't even have to come up with your own stuff to describe the room. You will have to put monsters and you'll have to have some kind of interesting adventure to wrap around it. Uh, but the idea is that like when it comes to, you know, I mean, that's why I wrote two books, basically, that are focused on on places um, that that coming up with interesting places to run games is hard. So here's 10 more. Um, so that was the final goal. And, and I really, you know, I, I, I wrote in the, the final update. And it's the, like you said, the Kickstarter still has like 20 days to go. But like I'm tapped out, you know, like I, I I've got as much work as I can handle for the year. <laughs> you know? well, and, and, and the thing it, that I you know appreciate about this Kickstarter and I don't know how a lot of other Kickstarters for books are organized, but there's like two pledge levels. You can get the PDF or you can get the PDF and the print option. So it's not like there's a ton of options for people to choose. And I, I actually kind of like that. I think it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that was, that was, that took a fair bit of planning. Cause like, I, I was thinking a lot of like, well, I could throw in, I mean, one, one problem is like, it's, you know, it's eight bucks, right? Like the lowest, the lowest tier is $8 and the high tier is 13. So it's not, there's no $30 tier. There's no $45 tier. And with Fantastic Adventures, I had some high tier, you know, higher tier, right? I think like the highest one was $35. And, you know, that, that kind of matters because you sort of need the revenue in order to be able to hire artists and in order to pay for the editing and the layout and everything like that. So you want to make sure you're not, you know, I, I've, I had to be careful about making sure I'm asking for enough that I actually can get the money that I need to make a really good book for the number of people I expected to get. And um, so I, I had originally like high tier sort of ideas. Originally, like the workbook was going to be something that you would have to opt in to get. But then I was like, well, what if I don't get enough people? Then the workbook isn't that good. And then people are paying more money for a book that isn't great. So I, I finally said, you know what? The pressure is a lot less on me if I just add the workbook to everybody. Everybody gets it. And um, I mean, and, and so the deal is like, I really do believe that for the, the, you know, for eight bucks, it's a hell of a good deal. <laughs> You're getting a lot, the, the amount of money that's going into the product, the amount of energy and the amount of talent that's going into putting the book together and putting the workbook together and getting all of that for eight dollars. You know, it's I, I it's it's a it's a good deal. Um, and the, the, the print here is a little so it's. It's a good deal too. You'll save money over retail, but a lot of it depends on like which ones of them you want in print mm -hmm. or not, because each one of them you're getting at cost. So if you decide I want the hardback, you know, like you can get the hardback, the soft cover, and the workbook all printed out, and you're getting them all at cost, and it would you're easily saving like you know fifteen dollars over what you'd pay if you try to get them separately. So, well, congratulations on the success of the Kickstarter. I hope it continues to trundle forward and gain momentum yeah. I mean, just comparing it to some of the other ones the fantastic locations you had a little under 800 backers and then fantastic adventures had about 1200 and now you're close to 2800 with still three weeks left so yeah uh, I, I mean your I growth also is going up and up and up so congratulations on that yeah yeah yeah, and I and I do I do look at that and kind of so I think this, that there's probably two reasons, maybe three, why that is the case, and and one is that I think the topic is one that people are interested in. That certainly I've seen that with the sales of Lazy Dungeon Master originally, the the cost is low, right? It's the the barrier to entry is is lower than than other things. But I think that again we come to that rising tide that you know D and D is D and D is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that, you know, I've seen it over those three years just with the numbers of the people that have been backing these Kickstarters. So how can folks find the Kickstarter? How can they find you if they have questions, want to chat with you online? Yeah, so the two the two best ways, one, if you want to see anything that I do, it's usually all up on slyflourish.com. Uh, on the right-hand side, you'll see the cover for uh, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. And if you click that, you go right to the Kickstarter. Um, and that's where you, if you decide you don't want to back the Kickstarter, that's where it will eventually be for sale, probably later later this year, probably in the in the in the you know in the November-ish time frame. And if you want to get a hold of me, the best way is on Twitter. I'm I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter uh, at uh, twitter.com/slash/flourish. Yeah, and you're always putting out 
I think really thought-provoking content, a lot of tips just to help people think about their game a little bit differently. Like I said, some of the surveys and some of the research stuff that, that you're doing. Um, and then like these types of articles and products. So definitely if you're into D&D role-playing games and you're not following Sly Flourish, you should be. So uh, <laughs> get on it. So, yeah, so this is interview number two. And at this pace... I guess we'll have interview number three sometime in yeah, sometime 2020. <laughs> and and what will the hobby look like then? That. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. I don't have any idea. Well, by that point, you might be, like, working for Wizards, like, and moved out in Seattle yeah. or something. I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see that in the future for, for, for a bunch of reasons. One is like, we can all make great, I mean, Colville proved it, you know, and I'm, and I'm very happy with the way things are going. We can do a whole lot without having to necessarily yeah. work it, for, for Wizards. And if you haven't listened to our first conversation, uh, our first episode of this podcast, I think you, you spoke about gatekeepers then too. Yeah. Um, right, and that right. even two years ago, you were saying, you know, there's, the same gatekeeping system is really not relevant anymore. Right. It, it, we, we pretend it's there yeah. and it's not, you know, and, and I don't know if that's still the case. I think, I think Colville just shattered that idea. Yeah. You know, I think if there was ever proof, you know, I mean, like he's, he's a statistical anomaly as well, right? Like, you, you know, you're, we're all not going to be Colville, but boy, it shows you that that doesn't have to be the path. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, just from some of our earliest conversations, you know, if you don't see the type of content you want, Go create it. Yeah, go, go make, make it. it. Yeah, there's there's nothing there's nothing preventing anybody from making uh, stuff. Play D and D. Enjoy yourself out there. And Mike, thank you for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, have a great week, and uh, I hope the Kickstarter ends up uh, very well. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much.